You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast. It is July 27th, 2021. And on today's show, we'll discuss the Nationals' loss last night against the Phillies. Uh, but there is some positive stuff going on. Don't worry. It wasn't all doom and gloom. And we'll also touch on, obviously, the trade news happening right now. Things swirling. But we'll touch on the Nats game last night first because, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing about trades and we don't have anything concrete yet. So we'll hit the latest Touch on all that, touch on last night's game, and a whole lot more. So I hope you guys enjoy today's show. All right, let's get into it. Right now, it is 9.53 a.m. as I record this. And we were supposed to be doing this podcast with our friend Dan Wilson of Locked On Phillies. But Dan, Dan didn't make the wake-up call today, folks. Dan Wilson not here. And look, maybe he's a little hungover. Maybe he was celebrating the Phillies' win last night, and then they had a walk-off win over our Nationals, so that was tough. But Dan Dan is soft. He's not here. And let's be honest about this, folks. I've got locked on Big 12. I've got locked on Nationals. For those of you who are college football fans, you guys know the Big 12 conference is falling apart last night. I had the game on in the background, uh, the Nats game last night, on in the background while I was recording locked on uh, Big 12 uh, with the locked on Sooners host John Williams. I had to, you know, I actually missed the walk-off home run because I was on my editing screen, and I flip back and see Brad Hand walking off field. I think, oh, no, hit the rewind button to see what happens. You know, I'm up late editing until night, you know, uh, late in the evening. Wake up this morning, uh, ready to go, 8.30. You know, we set a 9 o'clock time with Dan, and Dan's nowhere to be found. Dan might have to catch up on a couple episodes, he told me. So I said, sure, Dan, let me fit you in. Busy week for me. But we'll talk. No Dan Wilson. I'm recording this podcast later than I wanted to because Dan is not here. So Phillies, Phillies fans, um, Nationals fans, send your hate mail. Send your, uh, you know, call him soft on Twitter. Do whatever you want. Uh, but Dan Wilson, not here, should have been here to talk about the Nationals-Phillies series slash the game last night. But I am here to do it with you all. So last night, the Nationals lose the Phillies. Six to five, and uh, this was a difficult one for for a few reasons. Number one, you always hate to lose on a walk off, right? It's never the way you want to uh, you lose a game. It just feels miserable. Two, this makes it now five consecutive losses for the Washington Nationals. They lost that last game in the Marlins series. They lost three against the Orioles, and now they lose this opener in this series um, against. Um, here against the uh, the Phillies. So this also makes it three consecutive blown saves for Brad Hand. Well, not blown saves. He didn't blow the save against uh, the Marlins. He just took the loss in that game. But three consecutive outings for Brad Hand that have been absolutely miserable. The Absolutely miserable. And the problem for the Nationals becomes, you know, sure, you, you're not going to use that small sample size of Brad Hand to totally judge who he is, and you heard me the other day, I talked about his value, especially as a left-handed reliever. I think having uh, quality left-handed relief pitching is always a big bonus. And Brad Hand, despite his struggles, you know, it's it's going to be something that he's still valued for. I, I still think Daniel Hudson's the big one because of that pedigree, because of how good 
Daniel Hudson has been, he still feels like the number one guy when it comes to the Nationals' bullpen. Now, Brad Hand could elevate himself. And I know Daniel Hudson was awful last year, but last year was an aberration. If you, if you throw in um, Brad Hand's 2019 uh, alongside Brad Hand's 2021, very much a better indicator of who of who uh, Daniel Hudson is as a pitcher. So, you know, if you throw in those years together, Daniel Hudson is lights out, has been excellent. I think he's still the guy that teams are going to be searching for in trade packages. So that is where, um, you know, that, that's really where I think the real reliever value is at this point in time. And uh, Brad Hand, to go through it like this, this feels like the perfect time for Brad Hand to get a change of scenery, maybe even a change of where he pitches in the game. I mean, eighth inning spot, maybe he's a guy that, you know, throw out there in the seventh inning or, uh, you know, if you have good matchups. You know, he look, he's a guy that I would throw out there if you have a, uh, you know, maybe one lefty in inning, if you're facing one or two lefties in inning, you know, if one, two, three is lefty, righty, lefty. Uh, you know, if you just threw a righty or two, a couple righties trying to give a different look. And once again, play the matchups. But I don't think necessarily Brad Hand has to be a closer, despite the fact that he's making quote-unquote closer money. So uh, Brad Hand not doing the Nationals, not do well, I guess himself doesn't really matter because he's already been paid. But look, it's only a one-year contract, right? So he's he's up next year. So his run of form in the last uh, two and two-thirds innings he has faced, he's surrendered a total of six runs across that stretch. He's taken three consecutive losses. He's blown back-to-back saves. And look, this is still a guy that's got 20 saves on the season. Still a good number. Still a 3.67 ERA. Still a guy that you can trust. But there are cracks in the armor right now for Brad Hand. He does not feel like the untouchable guy that the Nets signed up for and that we saw last season. I know his 23 appearances with a point, uh, a, a 2.05 ERA. And he's had a really good career. But you could argue that that's numerically, uh, you know, since 2015, this is this is his worst season that he's having right now. And uh, 40 appearances, five blown saves, so it's not that bad. But um, to, to have him on a poor run of form at this time is not where the Nationals want to be. Hopefully, that's not how other teams view him, and I, I don't think they will. But it's just something to watch as we move forward. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about how you know kind of it went down. And also, we'll give some positivity here. Joe Ross, another strong outing. I think the Nationals might be on to something here with Joe Ross. I'll explain next, but first, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is the best place to find affordable parts for your car or truck. Go to rockauto.com today to check out the thousands of parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They are a family-run business, so their best interest is finding you the best possible prices. Go to rockauto.com, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, always low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. So what, like I mentioned last night, uh, it, was a, it was a six to five loss. And I know I'm not going numerically, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, chronologically about how it happened. But I think at this point, hitting the highlights, what matters right now is kind of the big thing. You guys don't need to go play by play through the game like we normally do. Uh, just because there's so much news happening right now. And the other piece of not news stuff, but but something that we've tossed around is the idea that maybe Joe Ross would be on the market. Um, I don't think he should be. I like Joe Ross. If the, well, if the Nationals want to be competitive, and we'll get to that in a little bit of whether they actually want to be or not. 
Um, I think Joe Ross is a really good piece because he's got one more year of control and he continues to pitch well. Last night, five innings, three hits, two walks, four Ks. So Joe Ross is coming off the IL, right? His last start that he made was that 4th of July start against the Dodgers where he pitched really well, six and two-thirds, seven innings, only three runs, 11 Ks, and he'd been on the IL. Since then, it comes off. They did not want to stretch him too much. He only threw 72 pitches, but he was strong in this game. He worked out of jams whenever guys were on base. He was just in command, in control. And also, for those of you who didn't see, his velocity was up, 97, 98 on the gun to start off the game. Something that was talked about on the broadcast that I thought was really interesting, Dave Martinez and, uh, and the staff, Jim Hickey, also pitching coach, knew that at some point maybe a break was going to be needed for Joe Ross because if you look back to last year, remember Joe Ross did not pitch. So when you move forward into this season and you go from a place where a lot of guys, you know, not just Joe Ross, didn't throw as many innings, and now you're extending them to, you know, to how many they're going to throw, um, maybe these injuries, these knickknacks are going to happen. And that's where it happened. And they, they knew this was coming. And so good job of the staff of easing Joe Ross back into it. He's thrown 92 innings on the year. And so for him to come back against the Phillies, a good offense, and to have this kind of performance, I think it just shows you that that now Joe Ross is beginning to get to a place where not maybe the guy they thought they were getting in, in the beginning, but uh, a really solid part of the rotation guy that he can be, a fourth, a fifth. You know, Joe Ross has been thrust into maybe being the second or third best pitcher on the team at times this year, and I think he has responded accordingly. Yes, that month of May did not go well for him, but his month of June was excellent, and he has continued to improve throughout the year. Uh, the two games that he's pitched uh, in July, obviously, you know, had the injury, but he has been strong, and I, I think now we're starting to see more who of Joe, who Joe Ross can be when he's consistently out there, when he's you know a starter every every fifth day, and I think that whether it's here or somewhere else, he's he's a good piece to have, but I don't think he should be anywhere else. I think whether the Nationals are really trying to be a super competitive team, it's going for it all, a middling team, whatever it is. I think Joe Ross is a really good asset to have because of his ability just to every fifth day give you consistency and also maybe as a potential chip or also part of a winning rotation that, you know, Sky made a start in a World Series game. Did they want him to? No. But did he? Yes. So I kind of like the player Joe Ross is becoming, and I like the fact we get one more year of control, maybe to see what Joe Ross has. And I love to see if he can continue it the rest of the year and then go into an offseason where it feels like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to a contract year. I'm feeling really confident in the way I'm pitching. So I'd hang on to Joe Ross. I think I think the Nationals would be better for keeping Joe Ross because right now his best quality is the fact that he's got a year of control. I, I think if you can see how good of a pitcher he can be and he continues to perform well, next year his value will go if you want to keep him or if you want to move him. So I think there is value in keeping Joe Ross. He's not a guy that I'm looking to move at the moment. But I think his performance last night, secondary to Brad Hand's, are things that are notable right now because Brad Hand being on the block, I think, kind of moves him forward. But Joe Ross, uh, kind of long-term, is what I care about. The Nationals offense, they jumped on the Phillies last night in the top of the fourth. Um, you know, Spencer Howard, first time through, pretty good. And then we know second and third time, that's where Spencer Howard can be had. And the Nationals were patient. They waited for the moment. And the fourth inning was, in fact, 
that moment. Josh Bell triples, Josh Harrison triples, the J, the J squared triple, the Josh squared rather, triple combination to start things off. Gerardo Parra gets a single and Victor Robles gets a single. So to see both Josh's Parra and Robles, you know, not the standard guys driving in runs, that was good to see. But Reese Hoskins answers in the bottom of six off Austin Voth, the three-run shot. Uh, Escobar ends up scoring on a fielding error by Didi Gregorius, Lowell Little League Phillies. And then in the bottom of the ninth, Brad Hand gives up a three-run shot. McCutcheon talked about it afterwards, and he said, you know, I was just trying to sit deep on that ball and did a great job of sending this one the other way into the stands. Game over. Phillies win. Nationals are now 45-54. and 54. Uh, This puts them, I would see, after last night's game, the Mets end up splitting this off my head. I'm pulling up the standings as we speak. So the Nationals right now are eight and a half games back. The Phillies are three and a half back. The Braves are five back. The Mets are obviously in first place at 53 and 45. And then the Marlins are in last at 43 and 57. So uh, the Nationals lost five straight games. Obviously, they're going to be in sell mode. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, difficult night for the Nationals in terms of a win-loss perspective. And, And with everything they're dealing with right now, with Steven Strasburg, you know, having a setback, with Patrick Corbin not performing well, with Kyle Schwarber on the shelf with an injury. You know, this has been uh, tough for the Nationals to deal with all of these things. And really the team they thought they'd have in the beginning of the year has not showed up for them. And, um, you know, guys have not performed the way that we thought they would across the board, I would say, at this point. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll hit on the trade news because there's a lot to get to. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag is the best place for all of your sports action needs. Go to BetOnline.ag today to see all the deals, the sign-up bonuses, etc. that they've got available there now to you. You go there on your iPhone, you go there on your tablet, you go there on your computer, you can sign up today. It is free. It is easy to do. Once you're there, use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, LOCKEDON, and you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus. So if you deposit 100 bucks. They'll give you an extra 50 to play with today at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so the first piece of news we need to discuss is the Nationals potentially being interested in trading Trey Turner, their uh, excellent shortstop who we talked about. And this is from Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post. Post reports that the Nationals are receiving a lot of interest and all-star shortstop Trey Turner have not uh, firmly ruled out moving him. Uh, and this is also, she had a Twitter thread, so if you guys want to go find her on Twitter, Chelsea Janes, she's at Chelsea underscore Janes. She says, the Nationals getting a lot of interest in Trey Turner, according to a person familiar. Sounds like they haven't ruled out dealing him, but would need to be presented with a total no-brainer of a deal. And uh, before I move on, that sentiment is something that Max Raymond and I shared the other day on the podcast. She says, it's hard to picture them getting a massive haul with so many shortstops, hitting free agency, uh, and Turner with just a year of control left. But he's among the uh, MLB shortstops, um, second among MLB shortstops in F4. Might be the biggest impact player approaching available this week, uh, even though it sounds like the Nats would need huge return to trade him. So I've seen a lot, even our friend Arm uh, Arm Layton on Twitter and other people, why would you deal Trey Turner? Because... It, it, dealing Trey Turner to me would would be a huge indicator that the Nats want to take a big step back, that they want to sell big time, maybe use Soto and Strasburg to put asses in seats and sell tickets. I mean, they've got a World Series. You know, I mean, how mad, I guess the calculus here is what I'm saying is, how mad could other teams be, or how mad could fans be, excuse me, 
uh, you know, uh, uh, we already got a World Series and we tried to win again. It didn't work out. So let's just reload. Let's see if we can trade some guys. But my issue with that is Trey Turner is a complete difference maker. And this is why I talk about all the time. If you're interested in getting rid of players like Soto and Turner, maybe you shouldn't be in this business because those are the guys that you um, those are the guys that you build teams on. Those are the guys that you need desperately. If you want to get rid of franchise cornerstone players, forget it. You it's up to you to find a way to make a team work around franchise cornerstone guys. I, I know baseball is a bit different, but with Trey and Juan Soto on your team, in your lineup, on the field, you should be able to be competitive, at least with your lineup, if you make a few decent moves, right? If you can make a few things. The Nationals made one move in Kyle Schwarber, and it changed the complexion of their lineup, right? How red hot they were, once again, small sample size. But that, that just shows you that one other piece can make you super competitive if it's the right piece. You know, it doesn't have to be a guy like a Tatis. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, an all-star player. Uh, you know, just take your pick of any guy. It doesn't have to be a Vladimir Guerrero Jr., right? You don't need three heavy boppers. You can get three guys that are really good, and they can transform your lineup. If you have a couple other good guys around them. So that's why I would be way against this, because I think, you know, trying to rebuild the farm system just for the sake of doing it, by trading a generational asset, well, generational asset, but I mean, a really great asset. I mean, the only other player who's considered better at that position in the National League right now than Trey Turner is Fernando Tatis Jr., and he is a truly generational player. Um, this guy, Trey Turner, is already tied for the most cycles ever, and that just shows you, and I know cycles are a weird stat, but think about it. That shows speed, power, uh, ability just to hit in general. Guy is up top and, you know, average and whatever. I mean, F War, we talked about it. No, I know he's not an excellent, excellent defender, but still, this guy is a great player um, through and through. He is a leadoff guy who's a leadoff uh, hitter, an everyday shortstop for a World Series championship team, and I would not make this move right now. It is not worth it. Somebody would have to blow the doors off you with an offer that you could not refuse to do it. I don't think the Nats tra- move Trey Turner. I don't think they should, but there is some skepticism about the front office's desire to re-sign Trey Turner, and I think that is wrong. I think they should lock him up. Uh, you know, if you're already going to pay guys like uh, Patrick Corbin and Max Scherzer, excuse me, Patrick Corbin and Steven Strasburg, go pay Trey Turner. He deserves that money. Go and pay him. Uh, I think it's worth it. I think if you have Trey in one, it's it's going to be uh, easier to get to a point of winning again, obviously, than it, would, it wouldn't be. But I think those two guys are so good and so good together that it really does put you in a position where you're a few moves away always from being competitive. So I don't think they should do it. Um, Peter Gammons tweeted that the Nationals' ownership doesn't have plans to greenlight a long, long-term long extension on Turner. That is, um, once again, that is really bad news. That's very bad news. I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see how that develops, but I, I think ownership needs to, uh, in the front office, needs to rethink that because if if you have a player like that that falls to you, that, that, you know, that you've got uh, at this point and he's this good, then you really need to to foster that. I, I don't think it's time to turn that kind of guy into assets. I think it's time to, to maybe reset a little bit this year but begin to build once again around guys like Turner and Soto, and they've got the ability to do that this offseason, I think, with what they're losing. Uh, and a lot of guys coming off the books got some opportunities to make some moves, but maybe they're not interested in a reset. Maybe they want a rebuild. Uh, we'll have to see, though. But I, I'm against this. 
once again, I think Chelsea makes a great point with all of the free agent shortstops that are going to be hitting the market. I think it's difficult to see a team going way out of their way and saying, hey, look, let's give up a lot for Trey Turner. Maybe we could get somebody in free agency. But I do think that year of control, obviously, having him down the back half and then having him next year and the ability to re-sign him is something that will be super valuable, super valuable to any team. All right, also in the news, um, and I saw Matt, our friend Matt Wyrick from NBC Sports Washington uh, he tweeted about this earlier on today. But the idea that uh, Max Scherzer kind of destinations. And Mark Feinzen says that it remains to be seen if Max Scherzer will be traded. But a source said the pitcher, quote, strongly prefers the West Coast, end quote, to waive his no trade clause given the state of the NL West. He could be the difference maker in that race if he landed with the Dodgers, the Giants, or the Padres. So I'm interested to see. Um, if that's really where things heat up, Jim Bowden over from The Athletic had an article about trades potentially for Max Scherzer. And he's got one uh, with the Dodgers where Max Scherzer goes for Diego Cartaya and Ryan Pepiat. And uh, obviously a couple prospects there. Um, Nationals will get Pepiat 23. He's a Dodgers third round pick of 2019 out of Butler. He's got good fastball velocity and a good changeup as well. Um, Pepiat's made 13 starts. And one relief appearance, he's got a 2.45 ERA in Tulsa. And then Cartaya, 19, is one of the top catching prospects at all the minor of the minors. Obviously, that's a position of need for the Nationals, kind of like a built like a Salvador Perez. Um, so that's a trade that we could see, you know, could see be, uh, be made. And I think the, the Dodgers, the Padres, or the Giants are all potential landing spots that we're seeing right now. For Max Scherzer, I think he does end up out west. That feels like it's the most logical place right now for Max Scherzer to go. And also, I think if you know they they came to an agreement with a team like Tampa, and I know everybody loves Tampa's prospects, but guys, once again, Max Scherzer is a guy who's going to want maybe an extension potential or extension in place. Something Scott Boris had mentioned a while ago. Tampa's not a team that is probably going to re-sign Max Scherzer to an extension, and also. Um, Max has got the ability to block said trade. So, you know, he's going to kind of guide here. He's, he's got the ability to, to guide this process to where he ends up. The Nationals do have to bend to him a little bit. Um, you know, he's not – he said, I think, that he won't block a trade. But at the same time, they're not going to – he is not going to accept a trade to somewhere. Uh, the Nationals you – and know, he doesn't want to go. And I, I don't think the Nationals are going to send him like that because, they, one, they owe him better to that. You know, they owe him better than that. They owe him, uh, owe him to send him to a place – uh, that they owe it to him to send him to a place where he can win. And two, Max is going to just veto any horrible trade, you know, any horrible destination, I guess, that he deems it. Uh, also, one more piece of news, and this is from Maria Torres at the Athletic. It was from four days ago, and it says, Nationals optimism fades on injured Steven Strasburg. Quote, it just keeps coming back, end quote. And that, uh, Steven Strasburg thought he would be able to kind of come back this year, but he felt discomfort in the uh, bullpen that he was throwing this weekend. Uh, discomfort in his neck and so uh, that uncomfortable feeling is following is going to cause them to have him go see a specialist i bet they probably shut him down for the rest of the year maybe make a couple rehab starts i don't know but um they they cannot throw him out there before he's fully healthy they've tried to before but they've got to sit back and really kind of see what's going to happen before they really bring him along that they need to make sure they get this right because the amount of money invested in him and, and what he now means to the team Especially as Max Scherzer are gone, 
if they want to be competitive at all, or, you know, they just want to get value out of the contract. Hell, you know, it's just about getting this guy back on the field at this point for the total sunk cost. They've got, they've got to get this right. And we've been saying that for a while. All right, that will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LO underscore national. You can follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. If any news breaks during the week, we'll have an episode to break it all down. Um, but until next time, my friends, as always, stay safe.